Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. If a tree falls in the capital wasteland, does it make a sound? No. Coming to you almost live from inside the belly of a whale, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. How's everybody doing tonight? We have some guests with us. Uh, one of them is uh, who I like to refer to as Brown Magic. Uh, <laughs> really? I don't think you've ever referred to me. That's well, that. I'm doing it now. <laughs> yeah, Brown Magic. Actually, we'll just call him Rumin. And uh, Anita. Anita's here with us as well. Hi, Anita. Hi. Wow. Girl on the podcast. Second one ever. Woohoo. And, and for that matter, the second guy guest ever. So true. We're setting we have, records here. Yeah, you quality. So. We're not including ourselves. As well, we're not guests on our own podcast. No, you're hosts. Fair enough. What are we talking about today, Scott? The debate between movies and video games. Specifically, which ones tell better stories? Which ones are better at conveying plot to a viewer, to a player? Uh, it's actually a debate that's started to crop up more and more because video games are becoming more complicated, more sophisticated, uh, are getting to be, in a way, like movies themselves. And so people have begun to consider maybe video games, as they're currently presented, are the future of movies. And so that's why we've brought our experts, Ram and Nita, into the studio today. Uh, by the way, surprisingly, surprisingly not smelly in here. Extremely humid, though. Have you noticed? Yeah, that? and a little claustrophobic. See, I I find it oddly relaxing. Really? Like the 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 gentle waving back and forth. It's the peristaltic action of the esophagus. I uh I kind of <laughs> like it actually. What the hell was that? That was science. I was <laughs> dropping, <laughs> I was dropping science. Did you just convey the truth? Science. I did. I just like to point out that that uh, puppet maker that we passed on the way in was really nice. Oh yeah, absolutely delightful. Did you did you not notice also the two little fish, <clears throat> right yes. in the mouth? Uh, so sweet. What did what did Jonah sit in in the whale? Did he just sit in the whale? There was a folding chair there for him, I believe, when okay. he arrived. Geppetto at least had a little like house, a boat. Mm -hmm. Well, and fish or fish. So, so yeah, actually, for a puppet, for a puppet puppeteer, he had a houseboat. We are going to talk about video games. Yes, and and I, I want to start the conversation off uh, by uh, tooting my own horn and say that I actually did a little bit of homework uh, for the show. I went on to a little website called Ars Technica. Uh, yes. Uh, quite excellent. Their game coverage is, is outstanding. But they, they had a few articles that uh, recently captured my attention. Um, and by recently, I mean probably just about two years ago. But they are significant. Uh, one of them was published at the beginning of January in 2008. And basically what it says is that 2007 was a banner year for gaming. The industry sold $18.85 billion worth of games and hardware in the United States. Uh, and I would, I should think that that's got to terrify uh, people working in the movie industry. Because, my God, it's like, there goes your revenue, buddy. Well, I think, I think <laughs> statistically, only organization that made more money was the coffee industry. And, and I'm glad I have shares in that. And, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll bet you those two numbers are related. Oh, yeah. No. Coffee and gaming? Guaranteed. Musical. Well, what are, it's like Mountain Dew and Dice. They yeah. just go together. Uh, we should tell the audience why. Silence. Nita, why Nita and I are experts. I don't. Well, I mean, yeah, I, how, honestly. How did like, I get to be an expert? I thought I was just a girl with an opinion. I think, well, I think uh, that was to the gamers, reason. girls with an opinion is an expert because there are so few of them. I do have um, brown hair. This is what I'm saying. Um, I don't I don't know if I'm an expert so much. I am, as, as with Scott, I am a journalist. Um, I 
uh, also run or co-run a podcast on video gaming. And uh, what is that podcast called? Feel free is, to toot your own Yeah, I, I will shamelessly Shameless plug, plug uh, man. Do it. It is called uh, User Created Content. You can find it at usercreatedcontent.podbean.com. Okay. While we are working on a website. Are um, you on the iTunes? We are on the iTunes. Um, and actually, like the first that. episode that I was on of the podcast was this very discussion about a year and a half ago. <laughs> so okay, far. so Ramin, tell me, uh, aside from the podcast, <laughs> you know, where did, where did your whole... Uh, interest in video games come from oh wow that's a long story i'm well, much, I'll make it like m- a minute yeah no much like most people i think i was playing games but i didn't really consider myself a gamer if you want to use that term um but i i think ocarina of time on the n64 was the influential game for me you I'll, bastard that's my game well i can't help it we have good taste was it that's in, in why terms we're of experts are we talking about in terms of like storyline games and really engaging sort of games no uh in terms of st- well, no, I, I think it was more that it was just, it showed to me what games could be on a very technical level. It was a very sophisticated game for, for what it, for the machine that it was on, for yeah, one thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> also, mean, you got to ride a horse on well, it. Well, right, and everybody would point to, in that era, would point to Final Fantasy VII as the story-driven game yeah. that really influenced a lot of people. And I will say that, that that's true, but for me... Um, Frankly, I had played Final Fantasy VI first, so I had that sort of ego trip of I know better than most people. Um, but Ocarina of Time just sort of influenced me, and after that, I became far more avid into gaming. Um, and over the last couple years, especially, stories have really become very, very well done in games. Though I will say, I think if I'm if I'm gonna look back on like which what game first made me realize that games had the potential to tell stories better than movies um, is kind of obscure as legacy is the Legacy of Kane series. Oh yes, you could. Oh, I love those so, games. So good, so and well. I'm, I'm disappointed they haven't made. Well, new ones and for next and the funny systems. thing is, uh, Amy Henning, who was the lead writer for that, I believe, for that franchise, is now the lead on the um, Uncharted series. So, so um, <clears throat> Anita, why don't you tell us how you got into gaming? What what made you so keen on it? My my gaming experience starts when I was but wee, um, with the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. You unfortunate soul. I still have it. Uh, that could probably sell for like $5 at a garage sale. I know. Awesome. Yeah, really. Um, so w- my first exposure to gaming was as a little kid. Like I wasn't even 10. And every so often my parents would bring up the Atari and set it up. And that was our big treat is we'd play games. Um, and somehow I got amazingly good at Frogger. I'm so good at Frogger. I'm sorry, but like driving or, you know, uh, CPR, I think Frogger's a life skill. <laughs> Could be. I think it is. It's all about uh, not drowning and not getting hit by cars well, or how? eaten by snakes. It's it's all about crossing the street in a major metropolis if and you're a frog. bonus points if you save another frog while you're at it. Good call. Thank now, you. my foray into gaming started uh, when my older brother, who's two years older than me, got a Nintendo, the, the original Nintendo, for his birthday. Mm-hmm. And I believe he tur- he was turning nine or ten. And, and this resulted in all kinds of distress when me and my little brother went and found the system in mom and dad's closet before his birthday. <gasps> my older brother nice. being, yeah, I know, right? But being this being yes. the sort of stickler that he was, was like, you guys have ruined my birthday. But, you know, whatever. That was sort of the first exposure, Mario Brothers Duck Hunt. That kind of thing. Then, when I was in my fir- when I was going into my first year of university, I was supposed to be at uh, orientation at the University of Alberta. But instead of going to that, I went and bought a PlayStation with my buddies <laughs> and uh, a copy of Resident Evil Two. And Very nice. that was really for me the introduction into what uh, 
you know, video games with, with fairly in-depth narratives could do. Because it wasn't just about shooting zombies, it was about solving puzzles, it was about um, cutscenes, it was about really creating the whole user experience and that was really for me looking back the sort of the uh, the eureka moment for video games i find it really interesting that everyone has this uh this this one like defining game that that turned them into a gamer and everyone has one you can ask them everyone has one but um, you you apparently don't well no i do oh okay let's hear because it because when we started with the atari and i was just a little kid in grade school um but my parents because my parents are awesome um, always bought us the newest console as we grew up. I when the, want your parents. When the Nintendo came out, my brother and I got one for Christmas. They bought us games every year. When the Super NES came out, they bought us one of those. Uh, when the 64 came out, uh, I pooled with my parents together because I was a little older. Yeah. And we bought one for my brother for his birthday. That's awesome. Um, See, my parents were I have always... I have every Nintendo that has been released. <laughs> That's brilliant. My parents were always very skeptical of video games. The fact that I'm 29... And uh, I re- just recently purchased a PlayStation 3. It probably makes my mother think I'm regressing. Oh, that's a whole other topic oh, that yeah, I could talk yeah. about for days. Right? There's a, there's a whole... Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, like, I bought every Nintendo system. I, I, I had a Nintendo when I was, like, six because my dad owned a Max, and they rented them out at the time. Nice. And so we would just bring it home all the time. But my parents have always been, especially my mother, totally against it, and I've always bought consoles in spite of them. Oh, no, my parents have never been against it. They were, they they understood that it was a pastime, right? And my brother and I were raised to know the difference between cartoon violence and real violence, yeah, and yeah. you know, raised to think and be normal. Um, but when you grow up with video games all the time, you kind of have to instead of just finding the one niche, right? You try a lot of things before you find your niche. Um, I I kind of came into my own, and I discovered I now currently have a serious problem. Uh, I played I, I played Link to the Past. Ah, yes. And now I have a Zelda problem. Like like a clinical I actually I have... own every Zelda that has ever been released, with the exception of the crappy CDI ones. So Scott, what is what was your foray into gaming? <laughs> I had an early Atari system as well, which was a hand me down. Uh, one of my cousins had had it in a selection of games, and when they got a Nintendo, they gave me the Atari. I passed the Atari on to some of my cousins, in turn, when I got a Nintendo. I got one for Christmas, actually, for my grandmother, much to my parents' horror. And my first Nintendo game was Rampage, so there Oh, very nice. Gosh. Very nice. You know, I'm gonna, let me tell you about Rampage. <laughs> for those Here who haven't go. played it. Well, I mean, I mean, it's about smashing buildings as either a wolf, an ape, or a lizard. But whenever, yes. and I'm about to date myself, you already know my age, so it doesn't matter. Whenever we would have a birthday party, we would go to the now defunct Bullwinkles in the north end of Edmonton. Oh, I miss Bullwinkles. But me and my brothers, the first thing we would do was not eat pizza, was not watch Boris and Natasha animatronics that were terrifying on the stage. We wouldn't play skee-ball. We would go immediately to the Rampage machine, fill it with coins, and smash things. But the point is, Rampage equals yes, Scott equals fabulous, Anita and Scott getting married, Ramin's parents owned a max, and the show concludes. So much fabulous inside a whale. It mm-hmm. really is. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so I've done some research. All right, tell us what you found. I have here in front of me, you were talking about 2007 being a good year for movies. Uh, and for video games. Yes. But more specifically for video games, how they had a huge blockbuster, if you'll pardon the turn of phrase there, uh, year, as compared to movies. 
I have the top grossing movie of 2007 and the top grossing game of 2007. I just want to take a moment here to do a little trivia with our guests and our my co-host. Uh, if you were to guess what the top grossing film of 2007 was, what would you guess? Uh, um, I am very bad at remembering years for films. What came out in 2007? I don't remember. Did we have some kind of... Uh... I'll, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you all a hint. Uh, it was a sequel. It was one of the Spider-Man movies, wasn't it? State your answer. Just guess. I don't remember. If it, was, it, was a, it was a Spider-Man movie. Yeah, I'm gonna It'll go have with, to be. I'm going to go with Spider-Man 3, probably. It was Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 was indeed the top-grossing film of 2007. Okay. I hear that wasn't very Wait, good. Wait, before, before you reveal... Uh, I want to reveal the numbers at the end. So yep. now, let's guess... The top-grossing video game of 2007. That's easy. Is what it? was it? Halo 3. Okay, that's Ramin's guess. Oh, was that the year Halo 3 came I'm out? I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, but I think so. If, if that is indeed the year, I'm going to agree with him. Halo I, 3 was huge. I yield to the Master Chief sitting at the end of the uh, whales. And the Master Chief is wrong. Oh. Halo 3 is the second oh. top grossing. What? Call of Duty 4 oh, was the top yeah. grossing game. Uh, I couldn't find an actual number, so I had to make a guesstimate. And how, what did you base this on? Assuming that uh, an average video game costs about $60 when it's brand new. That's, That's bit, right? the number that I went with. So okay. I basically took the number of units sold, times it by 60, and that'll be our guesstimate for price. Fair enough. Spider-Man 3, the top grossing film of 2007, we'll just round up. It, it grossed $337 million, roughly. Okay. If we were to uh, go with my guesstimate, Call of Duty 4 sold 7 million units worldwide. That's $420 million. That sounds about right. That, that's... Uh... Amazing. So that means that the top selling game in 2007 made more money worldwide than Spider-Man 3 did. Now, well, let's not forget. I mean, that's not really It's not really a fair metric. You pay what? 13 bucks to go see a movie, you pay $60 for a game. Yeah, but does that movie price include DVD sales afterwards? Scott, probably not. Admittedly, that's box office. No, that's going to be box office numbers. But I, I, I mean, like, let's just go with that. I mean, obviously, the the, the um, cost to, to purchase or participate in, in seeing a film is going to be drastically different than a video game. Um, so, yeah, automatically, video games have the advantage by costing, say, four times more than going to see a movie. However, one would also take into account that more people go to see the movie, and that should offset it. Yeah, more so. people are going to go see Spider-Man three than are going to buy Call of Duty. See, 4. And, and I don't think that's true. Why not? Because. Well, okay. Maybe maybe more people logically would go see the movie, but I think the difference is that, um, and, I've, and I've always been a proponent that part of the reason that games sell are starting to sell a lot more than movies is that games are in your home, and people are a lot more willing to buy things that you can play at your home over an extended period of time. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're the single user of it. Exactly. Right. Well, absolutely. So even though only, according to this number at the very least, 7 million copies of it were purchased, it's likely more than 7 million people enjoyed the game. Presumably, yeah. Indeed. That is fair to say. So what, is this, what does this reveal exactly about, you know, where movies are going and how far games have come? In your guys' opinion, or your expert opinion... Um, is this a function of the more immersive universes that, that publishers are creating for users, Ramit? Well, Anita first. Ladies first. Sure. Oh, thank you. Um, my whole take on this is that you're comparing apples and oranges. Thank you. 
Both exceedingly delicious. I agree, but different. Um, so if, if we were to go around and ask people, if just, just to use those two examples, would you rather watch Spider-Man 3 or play Call of Duty 4? Can, can I ask you a question? Um, is, is the difference that significant? Like you're watching a film on DVD or whatever <clears throat> or in, the, in the theaters. Is it a more uh, passive experience than sitting there manipulating controls? May I interject? You may. Do you mind? Not at all. Uh, if we want to compare... Let's let's just compare Spider-Man 3 and Call of Duty 4. Because you you brought up a very interesting word which was immersive experience. Okay. term. Yes. Um Call of Duty 4 partly was so popular because of its multiplayer, which is one thing. But the reason that it was so critically acclaimed was that the single player was an impressively well-told story. Imp- very well done to the point where through the first person viewpoint you're surviving a nuclear blast and a plane crash and that is an intensely immersive experience and if you compare that to to spider-man 3 it's not even a comparison all right okay but don't compare call of duty 4 to spider-man 3 and that's what i'm saying right apples and oranges well okay 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 you have you have thoughts on this let's let's put it this way um to to sort of level the playing field okay call of duty 4 right now compare that to um, something of the same of the same genre. Compare it to a oh. World War II film, so compare where they to, show that happening to characters: compare it to planes Band crashing, Brothers. nukes going off, trying to save your buddies. Which again, apples and oranges. One is immersive one way because you are trying to actively take part in it, and the other is immersive another way because you are drawn into the story and you're watching what's going on. Yeah, I I'm not. I'm not certain that I agree with the apples and oranges argument. I do think that um, there there are obvious similarities between the two media, right? I mean, you're you're in a game. Yes, you're manipulating the characters and you're following a storyline. Say if it's a single player story. Somebody described it once to me uh, very accurately. I think as two aspects of the same medium. Right, but there's there is. I mean, I think people are always going to go to movies, and I think people are always going to play video games. But I, I, I do think that it is, it is socially significant that games are making are starting to make more money. Oh, I totally agree with that. Games have come leaps and bounds in the past fifteen years. But, but movies have been around for what over a hundred years. Well, I, and that's just a, a function of the the kind of tech we have. Yeah, absolutely. To it use is. to 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 manipulate this kind of medium. But, I mean, there there are some uh, days where I'll be like, you know what? I've played through Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. Very nice. Many times. Probably about <laughs> ten times. My favorite film, which happens to be Life Aquatic by Wes Anderson. You son of a Bill bitch. Murray. I hate that movie. Oh, you I would. I that movie. It's so good. I didn't, want this, I didn't want this to turn into an argument between yeah, you and yeah. me. We never agree on no, movies. No, and, and I really hate Bill Murray. Okay. Well, that's a conversation for, for another, another podcast. But, um, but, I mean... You know, equally, I would I would happily sit down and watch that movie over and over again, and I'd happily play through the same level over and over again, walking up behind dudes and strangling the Christ out of them. Like, I mean, so for me, like, I don't know, like, given the choice between one or the other, I don't know if I'd go to a movie or play a video game, but, like, the the amount of time and enjoyment I derive from video games has definitely dwarfed what, I, you know, the time I spend watching and enjoying film. I agree. I think... Uh I think you can derive a great deal more 
uh, enjoyment, a great deal more immersion from a video game than you will get from a movie at this point. And it's because the video games have developed to the point where they can rival the movie in terms of plot, in terms of character, in terms even of some of the, the action sequences, some of the cutscenes look like they could be in a computer animated movie right now. Uh, anything that Pixar could put out, someone could put out in a video game as a cutscene well, in between Metal, levels. Metal Gear Solid 4 basically looks like a Pixar movie. Well, exactly. And that's fair. See, and and um, a coworker uh, brought up a, a an adage with me a while ago when we were talking about television. <clears throat> we were talking, he told me, there's an adage that goes, um, films are a director's game, theater is an actor's game, and television is a writer's game. And I, and I, as I, were, I was preparing for this podcast, I was thinking, okay, well, what is a video game designed for? I don't think it's a director's game. I really don't even think it's a writer's game because while I do believe that it is capable of conveying a story better than films can, I don't think that a lot of them do. I think that games are an audience's media. And I think that for for a very specific reason, and I think that there is there, if there's one game that's taught me that, um, it's a very recent game called Braid on Xbox Live. <gasps> I want to play that so badly. It is one of simultaneously the most heavy-handed and most uh, deep games I've played ever. And mostly because the final sequence of that game moved me more than more than Fight Club, and as everyone in this room knows, Fight Club is my favorite movie of all time. It's weird that we agree on that. That is a great movie. It is a fantastic... Well, Chuck Palahniuk's a great author. Okay, but so we talk about movies and video games being apples and oranges. One of the things, Ramin, that I uh, love and hate about you is the fact that you and I see film largely, extremely differently. Very differently, yeah. Okay? Um, I think that's one of the beauty things about video games nowadays. Take a game like Fallout 3, for example, a game that I became obsessed with when I so bought I. the PS2. There is such a, a depth and range of things that you can do in that game to change the way it, it turns out that that is similar in a lot of ways to movies, but even better because you can be the good character who doesn't destroy Megaton or you can be the douchebag character who completely ravages Megaton. But the the thing about that is I wouldn't want to see either, watch either of those characters in a movie. I wouldn't. I personally would not because it, it, it takes away from that experience. It takes away from being the douchebag who blows up Megaton. Just watching some guy do it, well, it seems really innocuous. That was that was my my big thing about about this whole concept was to actually watch and I've watched a lot of people play video games because I'm in the room um, to actually watch what's going on and not being the one doing it it's boring. There's a great scene in one I forget which Resident Evil it's in where all you're doing is walking down a hallway. I actually if you put that in a film, I know. that's the first thing that's going to hit the cutting room floor. I know, but but and you're right. I mean. You couldn't compare the passive viewer of a film to the passive viewer of a video game. I, When I bought my PlayStation and played Resident Evil 2, after all my friends went away, I continued to play it, even while my mother was sitting on the couch being like, oh, what are you doing? You're playing a video game. The, the footfalls of the characters in that game are extremely monotonous. Mom used to fall asleep watching me play Resident Evil. And when I freaked out about rabid zombie dogs attacking me, she'd get mad. She'd wake up and be like, what the hell are you doing? This is trying to freak your mother out. You know, it's really funny that, uh, that you bring up Resident Evil 2 because I will say that RE2, while I wasn't a huge fan of that franchise until Resident Evil 4, the controls, I hated them. But 
the controls were always designed to be cumbersome and tank controls so that you were not able to see ahead of you, so that you were not able to move fast, so that things that scared you and slow lumbering zombies were a problem. So, okay, fair enough. You know what game does this really well? Dead Space. Yes. This is quite possibly the most terrifying survival horror game I've ever played. Now, and I'm I'm including the Silent Hills in this game. Silent really? Silent Hill, I could not play without my little brother being in the room with me. Si- Silent Hill, I could never play. I I couldn't even pay attention if I was in the room. I needed something to distract me cuz that Oh, that game scared the living something out of oh, me. And Silent Hill 2, in my opinion, is the single best horror video game ever made. And it is because it is so atmospheric that it succeeds on on basically every level. Uh, the gameplay is great. The story is great. The character is great. The uh, the atmosphere is fantastic. It is It, it hits a, a 10 on every score, basically. And, and that's why it's... it's going to endure as a classic and much better in fact than many of the games that subsequently came in the series i i don't disagree with you um silent hill was because of how atmospheric and moody it was it was it was a disturbing game oh very much so now dead space dead space incorporates all of the excellent things about survival horror film into a video game and i will totally agree with that that is a perfect assessment of that game. it is a manipulation of camera angles a manipulation of of sound and visuals that is downright upsetting. I cannot play the game for more than half an hour at a time. And the smartest thing they did with that game was make the menu system part of the game. Absolutely. Part of the game play. Because take something that Resident Evil 4 did very poorly was making you go out of the menu into the menu system, move things around in your little briefcase, which was retarded. And then <laughs> And then come it should back. have been one of those mini backpacks. Well, I'm saying shaped like, like a cat. Like I'm, I'm just saying like it took you out of the experience whenever you needed to change something. Yeah. And and the fact that Dead Space allows you to change things on the fly while you're getting attacked is brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. No, that really is good. It it makes it makes it harder to play. Agreed. It makes it more of a challenge to be strategic about how you're manipulating your inventory if you want to get into that sort of thing. But um, but for me, Dead Space was actually the reason that I bought the PlayStation Three. Wow. Yeah. Also, yeah, Blu-ray, but whatever. Well, yeah. So let's talk about um, let's talk about the translation of video game into film. This has been done to death and poorly. Uh, is there an example of a good way that this has been done? I will say I liked Silent Hill. While while it while it didn't capture everything, atmospherically, it captured it very well. Story-wise, it did a decent job. I think the plot of the Silent Hill film pandered too much to moviegoers. Well, and and that problem was that the writers and the director were huge Silent Hill 2 fans. Well, but I mean they 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 tried so hard to explain the origins of what was going on and and the thing about Silent Hill was that you never got an explanation. You never got a a good, good explanation. Good a good one. You yeah. were you're wandering around this town, your radio sort of works and gets crazier when monsters are approaching, but I mean I, I was not satisfied with the way the film ended. But the thing about Silent Hill was was how well that it captured... The, the film captured 
the mood of the video game, the visuals, the atmosphere, that first terrifying moment that the uh, the the main character, who is played by Scott. Rada Mitchell. Yeah. When you hear the air raid sirens go off and everything goes dark, that was really scary. And when the when those like little molten babies started oh. showing up. Um, I, I'm gonna argue that that I haven't seen Silent Hill because I don't like horror movies, so I'm gonna take your word for it. Okay. She's kind of she's kind of a wuss. But, shut up. Um, <laughs> but if you look at if you look at our our somewhat brief history and our catalog of movies that have been made from video games, um, is there another good one? No. Well, what are what is wait wait there? hold on hold on. Uh, I'm I'm going somewhere. With okay, this. well I want to know. Um. Let's let's take the first one that pops into my mind was Super Mario Brothers the movie. I liked that movie. It was brilliant. I liked it. You're an idiot. The I only, liked it, man. You know I the only thing I good, liked it ironically. Guys, the thing is, it, just hang on. The only thing good uh, that 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 we have uh, to have this talk. We do. Yeah. The, you have to just let it happen. <laughs> yeah. The, the only thing good that was produced from the Mario Brothers video games that um, that wasn't a video game was the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Which was a TV show which on in the morning, fantastic, which also way. included the Legend of Zelda. Excuse I'm me, princess. <laughs> I, my Triforce might be erect right now. Hot. The thing is, I I liked it. I didn't think it was a good movie by any stretch well, of the imagination. Again, I just enjoyed it. I think when... it was an ironic spoof of Mario. <laughs> like if if you take that movie and didn't think it was supposed to be like a serious adaptation and thought of it as like a spoof of Mario, it's hilarious. Okay, the the thing about it was that that got me. When I was a kid, I really liked it. If I were to go back and watch it now, I'd be like, oh, this is the atrocious. worst movie ever. Yeah. But look at their source material. Super Mario Thank Brothers you. on the original NES is not a very story-driven game. No, I, I mean, Run, I agree. jump, hit things, pull flags, save protests. Hit protest. walking mushrooms. <laughs> I was about mushrooms. Look at, okay, let, let's take another one. Uh, Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. That is a hilariously. But ironic you know, film. I would argue that that in terms of source material, there was more depth to the, the various characters. Oh yes, Fighter. character, absolutely. A- and so unfortunate that that but was Raul Julia's last. And he film. has his best line in that so movie sad. too. Which is not exactly. for evil, not for power, but for good. I like the of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, Carlos again, Blanco will look be at the their, first. Look at their source material. There's no story to no. Street Fighter um, Two. Um, excuse me. Yeah, excuse woman? me. Whoa. Sorry. <laughs> Tournament. People fight, yeah, and they fight for good reasons. Yes. In fact, they uh-huh. made a they made a whole movie about fighting. Ch- it was a club. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, that hardly describes the nuances. Let's find let's find some of my favorite bad movies, uh, the Mortal Kombat movies. Okay, the first Mortal Kombat movie was awesome. awesome. It had it did have amazing fight it scenes. Actually, the fight choreography it was amazing. In both good. movies, actually, it was surprisingly was really good. good. I know that as the only person with uh, any degree of taste here, I should disagree with you guys. But I would say that the Mortal, Mortal Kombat, Kombat movie, total guilty yeah. pleasure movie. Only other yep. good video game adaptation. And mostly because Sonya Blade was, the, the actress who played Sonya Blade was Which in time? Billy Madison, yeah. <laughs> the first one. Okay. The, uh, the second one was laughably forgettable. I pretend oh, yeah. it never happened, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first one. one was quite good. But again, you go back, their source material was, okay, well, there's a big fighting tournament. Because yes. someone's trying to take over Earth. Actually, and so they had to fill in the blanks. In defense of Mortal Kombat, there was a backstory to it. And I'm glad that uh, that we brought up movies actually, because while there have not been, there's only been really, if we're going to go by the count we just had, which is not an extensive one, two movies that were decent. There are two more that are coming out that I have 
some hope for. One is Prince of Persia, which uh, Jerry Bruckheimer is making it. They want, Disney wants it to be the next Pirates. Pirates was tolerable. It was tolerable. I, I don't like Jake Gyllenhaal being Prince because, you know, when I hear Prince of Persia, I don't think Swedish Jew. But <laughs> He went there. He went there. I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a Swedish Jew. It's just not Persian. I'm sorry. Um, the other thing, um, the other movie that, that looks potentially good is Bioshock. Mate, which has Gore Verminsky behind it, which gives me a lot of hope. And I think that that could be a good movie. That movie also is potentially being put on the back burner because Gore Verbinski wants, like, a lot of money to make it. I think the philosophy behind making a video game movie is ass-backwards. When Terminator Civilization came out, a lot of the reviews I read were that this, game, this movie is like a video game. And their basis for this was that it... Basically, the plot was a MacGuffin to go from action sequence to action sequence, which is fine, except that that is a horribly inaccurate representation of video games in general. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. And, Agreed. And the philosophy, when when Paul W.S. Anderson made uh, Max Payne, it blew my mind at how a man could take a game based on John Woo movies, like inspired by John Woo movies, the game itself was action-packed to the point where it was just amazingly awesome. And then make a boring-ass movie about it with, like, two action sequences. How is that even possible? And it, and to me, it makes... It, the, the game it, literally had a special effects engine built, built into, into it. it. Yeah, absolutely. And, the, and the, the movie was terrible. And I think the reason for this is that they have this misunderstanding a lot of the actors never play games the directors have never played games they don't know what what that immersive part of it is and when you when you took a look at bioshock for example is is a they're making a movie out of it and that is arguably the best game that came out of 2007 which is the blockbuster year critically probably the most beloved game of that year and the reason for that was because the immersive quality of it, the first-person quality of it, allowed for the story to have to be not only good on a very superficial level, but also be very deep in a sort of meta level where they where they attempted to to convince you that okay, you are the user, and as a user, we the creators of the game tell you what to do, and no matter what you think you're changing, in the end, we are telling you what to do at every point. Metal Gear Solid had elements of that in it as well. Agreed. And indeed, uh, that's something that I actually wanted to touch on, so that's a good segue. One of the things that a movie can never do is truly interact with its audience. Uh, they can try, but they can't do it on the same level that a video game can in any way. And that's something that video game designers have realized, and that's something that they've begun to exploit. Okay, what, what do we ta- what, how do you define interaction, though? What I'm talking about is that there are games now, and Bioshock is a great example of that, Metal Gear Solid is a good example of that, where the game is self-aware of its own gameness and knows that in order to engage the player on a, a more cerebral level, that it needs to engage not just the character in the plot, but it needs to engage beyond the character, the player in the plot as well. And so they introduce elements to the plot that are kind of meta plot, where they're playing with you, the player, just as much as uh, they're playing with the characters within the plot. Metal Gear did that with characters like Psychomantis, who would break the fourth wall. 
and read your memory card and tell you what games you've been playing and then make your controller vibrate across the ground. Well, I mean, Metal Gear Solid 2, the whole plot was based on that. There, there are other examples of that. I'm unfortunately unable to think of any right off the top of my I head. I will say Braid, um, just to interject, is that Braid moved me because it specifically does that exact thing. Well, okay, in my mind, you guys are describing film. You can't pick your own, you can't choose your own adventure in a movie. You just have to kind of follow along. But you are not the character. Or you are, or you're you're a character is created that you're meant to resonate with in in such a way as to sympathize with them and and feel what they're experiencing. And I and and if we're talking about interactivity and engagement, I would argue that extremely well written characters in film manage to do the same things that gameplay does in really well written games. The the difference is more often than not, you're going to get your really well written characters in film. Because there aren't a lot of really well-written characters in games. It's, it's a very new thing to the video game industry to have well-written stories, strong characters, and, and good stories. Well, and this because is... well-written games with good stories don't sell. They don't. I'm okay, sorry. Isn't this they changing, don't. Though, isn't this changing? Go. It, it is, and I'm right? glad it is. And this but is why we're moment, having this whole show. Absolutely. At the moment, that's not the way it is. Fair enough. Well, I, Seriously, I, go I to your I go to your just... local video store, and and go through the the movie section and find you, you'll be able to find it. Ten well written movies with strong characters and good stories, and then you wander over to the video game section. Pick any console you like. Yeah. Pick all the consoles you yeah. like, and find. And find even five. I hate that you're well right. written, well structured, yeah. good characters, strong and emotional response games. Find five that aren't derived from an already existing series. And you know why? Because they don't sell. sell. Well, I, I don't, don't know sell. if that's true so much as they don't want to take the developers don't want to take the risk. Look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. They're they're all about the bottom line. But right? that's the same with movies, and that's why you have summer blockbusters that are full of explosions and not plot. Transformers two. Absolutely, because robot heaven. <laughs> <laughs> this and this, I, I forgive me for going off into a huge tangent, but video games. Oh, this this is and it kind of bugs me right now. Video games have issues exploring emotional connections and Thank sexuality. You. That's because video games are still growing up. Yes, absolutely. And that's something that it they have gotten to the point where they're starting to explore that. There is a perception still that video games are for kids. That video games sell to kids to sell they sell to young teenagers. Absolutely. And it's, that, it's an immature toy for immature exactly. people. Exactly. And that's why don't read studies. But well, okay, but it's not even about studies. Cuz this is a this is a a this is absurd, okay? <laughs> It is absurd because, like, we grew up. Video games were marketed towards us when we were like eight, eight. and seven, yep. right? And it's all started, let's say, with uh, mainstream, let's say, Mario Brothers or whatever, or Pitfall on the. I totally agree. I have said it a hundred times before. Pitfall. We are the first gamer generation and, ever. And these games have naturally evolved as with we've us. grown Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and because the guys who are developing them now are us. Yes, exactly. exactly. And, and they're the people who played them in their childhood. And yet the video game industry like the people running the industry still seem to think that video gamers are all kids but that's because the industry is still run by people a generation removed from us yes but video games this is basically the reason why nintendo fell by the wayside for for a long time time. when sony and xbox came out they were grown up they recognized that their target audience 
were in their teens, were in their late teens, they wanted games that spoke to them. They wanted games with a little more emotional depth, with uh, characters they could connect to, with mature themes. Well, look at Nintendo, their game catalog. Nintendo was making Pokemon. They were making games designed for kids. I mean, that's all fine and dandy. They're they're playing to the younger generation. They're bringing new people into video games. And, and it has been highly effective for them. And, and oh, yeah, Pokemon is a, is a blockbuster series. It makes tons of money. So hand over money. fist. But, but it, Nintendo wasn't making games for teenagers or for adults, or they were making very few of them. Mm-hmm. And that's why Nintendo, why the, the N64 and, and such, kind of became a secondary system. And it, was, it never really got big. The reason the Wii became such a, a big system was because they were bringing in a lot of multiplayer, but not only that, they brought in a very innovative way of playing the game, a more immersive, more innovative way of playing the game. It wasn't, and that's it why wasn't the games that revolutionized the Wii. It was the, the Wii, Wii that revolutionized the game. It was how yes. you played the yeah, game. And that's why the Wii... It a function of what you were playing and, and more how, how you, you were playing. Yeah, Absolutely. Yes. most of the games quote-unquote, on that console aren't games in the sense that we've been talking about for the last however long. They're not immersive no. storyline games. And that's They're true. Tennis. And that's true. Right. And, and that's why Dead I wanted Space, to address well, that. Even Dead Space that you brought up on that console is just a rail shooter. Hold and on. that's why getting, I wanted to address the Wii thing. Getting, is because the Wii, the Wii was about gameplay, not about the games. And I just wanted to address that. Okay. <laughs> um, again, I have a Zelda problem. And Twilight Princess was the most amazing Zelda gameplay I have ever had. I actually got to have a sword fight. I was actually standing there, because I'm a loser, swinging my remote, having a sword fight that I have always wanted to actually have. As opposed to mashing my buttons and wildly, you know, using my thumbs. But, but, okay, so this is what the Wii represents. It it literally represents uh, more so than any character-driven FPS or third-person shooter, it is you becoming the character in the game, literally standing there and moving the way the character would. And like, I punch think, out. And I think, <laughs> ducking and weaving. Oh, yes. And, and I think that that misses the point entirely. How do you... I think what? that it absolutely misses the point. This whole thing, last E3, Microsoft and Sony both came out with intuitive motion bullshit. <laughs> And, yes, they did. And I think that it misses the point entirely because what they're focusing on is how the user interacts with the control scheme. But isn't that all? No, and it's, and it's not. And I know what you're going to say. It's not. That's not a function of story? No, absolutely How you interact not. with the medium is totally a no, function of story. No, because how you interact with the story is a function of the medium. There's a difference. If we want to talk about um, immersiveness, I... I Guarantee you that if there is a game with an immersive story on the Wii and there's a game with an immersive story on the 360, for example, I don't. Does, it's not going to matter to me which way I play it. I totally agree with you. Thank you. I think it misses... You would. No, that's... No, I, just, I do. I think it misses the point. I think what they're, what they're not understanding is that, again, and it comes back to a, addressing games towards kids as opposed to addressing them to mature adults who understand and can disseminate knowledge and and can identify what parts of the game they enjoy more than others. And if, like us, you enjoy the story more than everything else in the game and you want a game that has a story that can be presented better than a movie can, then how you play it is not going to change it that drastically. Okay. No, it's true. A a good story will... will for lack of a better word, conquer its medium. Thank you. I still watch movies. I still read books. 
Okay. I still play games. I'm a I'm a huge believer in in the Malcolm Gladwell theory that everything that small things make a big difference. Okay. So if, if at a baseline level everyone agrees that the story from a given game is awesome, every single person on the planet agrees with that. If you can offer a gameplay experience that is that tips it that much better, that maybe it's slightly more nuanced. It's not you mashing buttons. It's more about you waving your arms around if that does anything to enhance the user experience then automatically i think the game's okay better. but what you're talking about is something very different how do you what, what, what do you we're think? talking about i think what adam is trying to get to is immersion he's trying to talk about immersing the player more fully in the story in the characters in the media so if you become the that agent i mean that's that's really in my mind that's really what we're talking about the difference between film and video games is is thinking is, is becoming part of the story. Is The story is so engaging that you feel like you're a part of it. It, emotion, it, it resonates with you emotionally. It's that much better. If, if by virtue of its gameplay, it involves you that much more, then I think that enhances the story for the player. But I think, and, and I mean, and, and you have a valid point. I think Anita's right that it is a very personal thing. I will say, like, to go back to the N64, I think the N64 controller was probably the most influential controller ever made. I would agree with that. Rumble pack, memories pack. I hated that you had to put the, the rumble pack into it. But I understand but it, it, it was, was a technology It was a technological, infancy. yeah, in its infancy. And it was the most influential controller ever. But... I I, pers I personally think it's the most influential okay. controller ever. I'm just personally, I your balls. hated that controller. Loved it. But it did I set the like stage. It but it did set the stage for a lot of the controls that you now see on others. That's oh, yeah, true. Absolutely, it did. And and sure, maybe Nintendo wants to replicate that with the Wii, and that seems to be what's happening. But I I think that they're missing the point because for for me personally. We need to stop advancing the technological side of it and start advancing the writing side because the quote-unquote writers in the game, as I make air quotes while I say quote-unquote, <laughs> are, are not the writers. They're designers. They are level designers that they hire to write games. And few games are now getting actual writers to write but, Again, Bioware making Bioware. changes I was just going to say, like, as far as I know, companies like Bioware are hiring mm -hmm. bona fide writers. Absolutely. And Bioshock and, in fact, bona fide writers. And in fact, one of, the, one of the criteria uh, to be a writer with Bioware right now, to be a lead story writer, is that you have to have a resume that includes, like, writing a novel. Yeah, published like, works. Like, you, you have to have published works. works. You need to be uh, someone who has put pen to paper and written a story that oh. has seen print. Un until recently... Uh, because game technology has come leaps and bounds from Pong, right? Because we now can put stories into games. Now the, the industry has finally realized that they should. Because we, we can now. Like, seriously, try to insert a, insert a, a, a well-written story into Pong. And, you know, there's no question that there... Yeah, I mean, Tetris... Tangent. Tetris, games like, I guess, Pac-Man, puzzle games like that. It, well, it's like It's like... It would be, it, to me, it's the difference between sitting down and watching a movie or doing the crossword, mm -hmm. right? Puzzle games still have their place. Yeah. They can have a story to go with it to explain why you're doing the puzzle. If you feel the need, like Dr. Mario. But again, even, yeah, we're, even we're... going back to games that could have had stories, there was a, a game I had on my Atari called Keystone Capers. You were, you were a little English bobby running through a department store to catch the bad guy and avoiding all the obstacles. Why, that, well, that sounds proper. Can I, can yes, I, quite. Can I bring up an extremely obscure game to to sort of tie into what you're talking about? Sure. Absolutely. For the Neo Geo Pocket, 
Ooh, which is something that getting very obscure. I've never you? owned one. I've always wanted to. I'm thinking about buying one on eBay right now. But the Neo Geo Pocket had a game on it called Gun Bear Neo Pokun. I was told about this game by somebody else, and I Googled it. And if you Google this game... Is it an import? Yes. It's called Gun Bear Neo Pokun. P-O-K-O-O-N. This game is essentially... In your, in your Neo Geo Pocket lives Gun Bear. And Gun Bear is a little worker man. And he lives in, his ha- in this house inside of your Neo Geo Pocket. And his house is made of microchips and stuff. You press you press buttons to make things happen in his house, um, and to make him happy. So you'll you'll leave his door open, and if you're lucky, his hot neighbor will walk in, and it'll make him happy. But what happens is, when you make him happy enough, he puts on his hard hat and he goes to work, and he starts building things within your PSP. And what happens is, you unlock homages to classic games like Asteroids and Pac-Man and all of these messed up things. And I always found it really interesting that that this game designed itself as making the character living inside of your Neo Geo Pocket so happy, he makes games for you inside of your Neo Geo Pocket. Like, things like that don't happen in movies. You can't make things like that in movies. It's not possible. Um, and that's why games are better than movies. I, I oh. Actually, uh, to... Yeah, I said it. Not Is that <laughs> no, actually no, the I mean, conclusion we're entirely that we've on the same side. I don't know. Um, Easter eggs. What about them? Now oh, we have Easter eggs. On they're DVDs. delicious. Oh, okay. Right. I bought, to go back to the Legacy of Kane series, Defiance, which was a fine game. Uh, and it came with, uh, it was it was fine, it was not perfect, but it was a fine game. And the plot was It was, it quite was good, good enough to sit through the story. Indeed. And uh, and it came with tons, tons of bonus yes, material. It came absolutely. with bonus art, bonus videos. It had voice acting bloopers. Like, it had tons of stuff in it. That's the kind of stuff that I can get off of a DVD, too. That's fine, except that I don't get to play through Pirates of the Caribbean unless I buy the terrible video game. <laughs> See, I mean, if we're going to debate the merits, if and we have debated the merits of plots of each medium, um, f- for me, games represent the next generation of what good writing is, Thank I guess. You. Right? Agreed. Agreed. Um, Agreed. I would alter that a little bit. Okay. Um, what good writing can do. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah I, I mean, that. yeah. I mean, it's, it's. I think it's essentially the same argument. But like, video games add a nuance to what a writer has to do, right? I mean. Oh, it's just new challenges because it's a different medium. Well, exactly. And and for me, as someone who grew up playing video games, that has more entertainment value, more immersive storytelling value than a movie. Now, I don't think that movies are going away. Oh, hell no. Oh, because no. sometimes there's nothing better than just sitting there drooling on yourself and watching a movie. And I and I and to be fair, like we're we're harping on movies sort of in comparison to video games, but let's be fair, I there are like a million more movies I like than there are games. I just tend to like the games that I like a lot more than the movies. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, you like there are more movies that you like than there are video games because there are more, more movies. movies. No, absolutely. Movies have been around for over a hundred years. And case. I and I will say, there's gonna be it's gonna be a long time before there's a game as good as No Country for Old Men. It's not gonna happen for at least another two five two to five years. Two to five. All right, two I'm to going five, to uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut in here. Uh, there's something that I wanted to uh, to bring up. Something that we've been kind of dancing upon but haven't delved into being what is the future of the movie slash video game style medium. I'm gonna I'm gonna go way hypothetical here. Star Trek. You never see anybody watching a movie in Star Trek. 
they're always on the holodeck living in the movies. Yeah, and being trapped in the movies. Okay, well, that's that's the plot I, of Star think, Trek. Especially when they create uh, plots for Data to not be Honestly, able to seriously, just don't ever walk into a holodeck Damn, and be like, ready. you know what's going to be awesome? A Sherlock Holmes plot. Because <sighs> I totally won't get trapped with the failsafe disabled on the holodeck if evil, I'm... Okay, evil look, Lincoln. Look. No, it's... it's... <laughs> Okay, but the point the point is the point is in Star Trek they presuppose that eventually the technology is going to be such that the the entertainment that you want to take part in the visual entertainment you want to take part in is not passive that you want to be immersed in it completely immersed in it in this they case. have literally created the Wii like the advanced version yeah, yeah. of the Nintendo Wii and, and, the and Nintendo makes the holodecks I sure hope it so. could be but the the point is, and this is way hypothetical. I'm not saying that like a holographic room is is right around the corner, and that we're going to be living that anytime ever. But is that where this is going to go? And I'm going to turn that over to all of you because this is a part of the discussion. I think that I, it, it is worth having. I will. Uh, I think it's funny that that Adam brought up the Sherlock Holmes holodeck episode. I think that that thoroughly represents my opinion on this. Is that again missing the point? Because Instead of creating a well-done simulation, for example, that is well-written, you're going to get... <laughs> ones that try to kill you. Ones that try to kill you. And I, and I just, I think that, like, you bring up the fu- where the future of this medium will go, and I think that before that discussion can even be had, can we please have well-written video games that are, like, consistent... Could we please have well-written movies that are consistent? It's a more consistent medium than video games is. I agree. Yes, you're right. But but that's also because they've got more writers involved in well, writing and this movies. Is, and this is what I'm saying is that this this sort of thing about this this idea of how do we advance this and how do we go forward with this and how do we immerse people more and more, it's ass backwards because you're not you're not creating an experience that's fun to be in. The answer you're is create, write it better. It, well, yeah, exactly. Right? Create a better experience, and I'll want to be in it. It's, Don't just create an experience and put me there. Yeah. Anita, what what are your thoughts on on the relative safety of the holodeck vis-a-vis uh, Sherlock <laughs> um, Holmes. I I am mostly in agreement with Ram that that uh, they're missing the point. It has to be a good. You can have a crappy holodeck something, right? But um, what what I just thought of as as that was brought up was um all of the most popular holodeck adventures are based on classic. previously written classic, well written stuff. The Sherlock Holmes series. How old is that? Exactly. Right, and it and everyone can agree Sherlock Holmes, very classic, very hey well now, done. Hey now, hey In an episode of Star Trek Voyager, Tuvok and Tom Paris wrote a fantastic holo novel. They did write a fantastic. And novel. I would have played the crap out of that holo <laughs> novel. Agree. I agree. But totally... Tom Tom Paris is a writer ahead of his time. I agree. Even in the Voyager universe, yeah. it's true. It's true. I agree. Um, we've brought up a lot of Star Trek, and I think that it's worth saying that we should, at some point in the future, obviously do, do a, a podcast. We will on Star Trek. All right. On that note, I think it's time for Adam's Fast 15. Oh, but oh, you yeah. know do what? Here, fast you do, but because there's two of you, it's kind of changed. It's a Fast 16. Oh, and it's a Fast 16 sexy. because you each get an equal amount of questions. You each get one pass, and we're going to alternate between people. Starting with Ram, then Anita, then Ram, and so on. Ramin, your favorite food? Ooh. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to have to speak Persian, but it's Khorish uh, Gaming. That sounds fabulous. Uh, Anita, your favorite color? Red. Ramin, Mac, PC, or Linux? What the hell is Linux? No, um, 
<laughs> I would say Mac or PC, one functions for one thing, one is for the other. Okay, that's a total cop-out answer, but we'll accept it, well, Anita. I mean, no, dogs and ca- dogs or cats, Anita? Cats. Uh, remain your favorite holiday. My favorite holiday? My birthday. That's not a holiday. No? It okay. counts, totally counts. Okay, okay, Anita, your favorite sport? Quidditch. Uh, remain your favorite pastime? Video games. Anita, at this particular moment, uh, favorite music? Electronica. Okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. General nice. answer. Ramin, without really getting into it, could you tell us your favorite movie? Fight Club. Okay. Uh, Anita, you, the movie that you dislike, but everyone else seems to like. Jerry Maguire. Okay. Who doesn't like Jerry Maguire? I hate that Anita, she so just answered much. that. All right, Ramin. Carrying on. Ramin, uh, flip side of the coin, a movie that you like, but no one else does. Godfather 3. Really? Love that movie. I'm going to strangle you after this. Whatever. Anita. I think people gave that movie not enough credit. Um, Anita, your proudest moment. Can I pass just because I can't you think can of pass. You, you can pass. You can pass. You've used your one pass. Remin, Super Mario 1, 2, or 3? Ooh, good question. Going with 3. Okay. 3 it is. Anita, Zelda 1, 2, 3, or 4? Wait, are they even numbered like that? Three would be linked to the past, okay. four would be Ocarina of Time. That's okay. why I bring him around these parts. I'm going to give it to Ocarina because hey! uh, it's the one I've played the most. Listen. And the one you can ride a horse on. I Well, you can ride a horse in and everything after horse that. He rode in you on. can ride a horse in Majora's Mask as well. Okay. Ramin, do you invert the y-axis? No. Ah, am I the only one who reversed no. the Y axis? Yes, because apparently down is up for you. Yeah, what the you know, hell is wrong with it's you? It's because I walk around like I'm flying a plane. Oh, God. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm the only person who does. I hate that. How is up down? Every time I play a multiplayer game in uh. someone's house, I always have to alter a character just to be like, do you invert the Y axis? I'm just like, yes, you idiots. Like, <laughs> I pulled down to look up. I feel, I, you know what it is? It's because I'm actually being manipulated by a puppeteer. Anita, the last question from the very slow 16, which is supposed to be called the fast 16, is who is your favorite python? It's a toss-up between John Cleese and Eric Idle. Really? Uh, you have to pick one. Eric Idle. Why? Because I thought he was the best Bruce. That's good enough. That's a good question. There you go. Fair enough. Fast 16. So, um... What do we have coming up on the next episode, Adam? I'm actually not entirely sure. You see, we're doing this on a really weird and staggered schedule. But we are going to continue riding the nerd train with a guest who's going to talk to us about massively multiplayer games and how his very actions resulted in the development of new policies in a particular game. Very quickly, I'd like to... uh... I'd like to once again thank our guests this evening. Uh, Raman and Anita are two video game and movie experts. Thank you guys for coming. Air quotes. I don't believe that uh, Anita has a web presence, but where can we find you online, Ram? Uh, I have a blog that I that I don't update fair, as far enough as I should, which is uh, ramannoodles.wordpress.com. Awesome. Um, and I'm also on user-created content podcast, uh, which you can find on iTunes, and we will have a new episode, I believe, either next week or the when I come back from Toronto in two weeks. Fabulous. Thanks for joining us, guys. No problem. You're welcome. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, Episode 3. Our guests, Raman Ostad and Anita Cooney, our topic, video game versus movie plots, pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening.
I own a master sword. 